Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability Podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome Paul Gerard, Group Policy and Kanban's Director from the Co-op to the call, and particularly because Paul is going to be talking to us about what they are doing with the Modern Slavery Act. And also, I'm delighted as well to invite uh, Jessica Cresswell, who is a uh, consultant at Carbon Smart, to join me because uh, Jess knows lots about the MSA, and uh, she will be uh, asking some questions. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello there. Hi. Um, so, Paul, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, what you're doing, and then uh, I'll, be, I'll ask you a few questions uh, about uh, the co-op and what it's doing with Modern Slavery Act, and then a little bit later we'll hand over to Jess to ask you some questions as well. So, tell me about yourself. Um, so, I, the group posting campaigns up to the co-op. I've been with the co-op about 15 months now, um, having spent 20 years in government, um, well, did a number of things, but um, probably most interestingly in relation to the Modern Slavery Act, I spent 10 years with responsibility in customs and excise for tackling organised crime, so I really get organised crime and understand how it operates. And I spent another six and a half years running tax credits and child benefit, which means I understand vulnerability and what happens when systems let people down. So I think combine the two, organised cri- cri- criminality with vulnerable people, and I think you are quite a long way to begin to understand modern slavery. Wow, so it sounds like you've had, uh, you've had an interesting career then with some uh, dealing with the dark side and the light side, shall we say, of humanity. Um, I think that's probably fair to say, yeah. Yeah, okay, great stuff. So, I mean, one of the things that uh, attracted me to uh, want to produce this uh, podcast was a couple of things, really, is that I, uh, I know that the Co-op is a, is a very ethical organisation that has been around for a while, which I'm sure you'll tell us a bit more about. And also that I, I believe it is actually today that we're interviewing you that you're releasing your Modern Slavery Act report, as well as there's some other things coming up. So um, the modern the co-op was it has been one of the leading businesses to campaign for the introduction of the UK Modern Slavery Act. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you've been involved with this campaign and what the co-op was hoping to achieve? Yeah. So. The co the largest cooperative in the country, and as a cooperative, we're all about championing a better way of doing business. And critically, for a co-op, that's about coming together so that we all help each other get on and nobody gets left behind. And I think, as you referenced there, we've made this a reality throughout our history, and we trace our history back to 1844. You only need to look at what we've done with fair trade dating back to the 1990s, and how we have continued to champion fair trade. We're the first retailer to stop fair trade. Last year, when other retailers saw their fur trade sales fall and they backed away from commitments, here at the co-op, our fur trade sales have grown twice as quickly as the total market. Mm. I think that tells you about, not just about the kind of organisation the co-op is, but also about we stick at things. I think that's important. What, what do we hope to achieve when we were campaigning for the Modern Slavery Act? I guess it's that we wanted the legislation to create a real common and shared goal that would make the UK a hostile place for traffickers to operate. Um, I think we're all impatient to do more and to do it quicker, but I think we can be pretty proud of the start we've made in the UK, and that's testament to a number of people, a number of real heroes, actually, in the NGO sector. I've been privileged enough to meet a few of them. And also, in fairness, I think government and the former 
former Home Secretary, current Prime Minister, can also take some credit for making mum slavery an issue in the UK and allowing the UK to become a genuine leader on tackling mum slavery across the globe. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's uh, some good uh, points there that you've got there because. I mean, this isn't the first time that a co-op uh, you've helped address modern slavery in supply chains. In fact, you know, you started looking at it over 150 years ago. Can you, can you drill down and give a bit more detail about that for us? Because I'm sure the listeners would be fascinated to know uh, how it's not just a reactive thing to a piece of legislation, but it's something that sounds as though it's kind of almost part of your DNA. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what lies behind our commitment to tackling slavery and supporting the victims of slavery is who we are as a cooperative. Um, as a cooperative, we've got a set of values and principles which the whole cooperative movement, and there's people quite surprised, there's three quarters of a million co-ops worldwide. Mm. And those values and principles that we all share, we've all shared them for more than 170 years. Critically for us in the co-op in the UK, the fight against slavery, standing in solidarity with those enslaved, and supporting those who are supporting those enslaved is something that's deep in our history and our heritage. Now, before I was in government and before I worked, I was a historian. So history is something I love. And this bit of it really appealed to me. So back in 1862, the working men and women of Manchester, and as you'll know, the co-op is a great Manchester mm. business. The working men and women of Manchester stood in solidarity with Abraham Lincoln and his union forces who were fighting to end slavery in the United States. Right. And remember that back in 1862, as they made that stand, they did so in the face of the desperation and death that was being caused by the Lancashire Cotton Famine. Mm. And that Lancashire Cotton Famine was a direct result of Lincoln's naval blockade of cotton exports from the Con Confederacy. But Lincoln, and there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln in Manchester, he called that act of heroism, that standing solidarity with those enslaved in the United States. He called that an act of heroism unrivaled in any age or country. Mm. Now the thing about that is the people who were behind that act of heroism, the people who organized and led the working men and women of Manchester were the founders of my, co my cooperative. Mm. The, the co-op that I now work for, I'm very proud to work for, it was my forebears who led the working men and women of Manchester that resulted in Lincoln saying it was an act of unrivaled heroism courage. You know, so at our 8th general on the 20th of May, we'll be voting on a motion which commits the co-op to two campaigns to support victims of, of modern slavery. You know, it's what our founders did back in 1862, um, and I'd like to think that those founders will be very proud of what their descendants, their cooperative descendants, are doing in 2017, standing in solidarity with those enslaved and fighting for better treatment for those victims. That's, I mean, that's excellent and, and you yeah, know, really, truly inspiring. And uh, it's, it sounds like you're kind of living your purpose. Uh, so that's, that's brilliant. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about actually those uh, two campaigns that you'll be voting on at, on the 20th of May? Yeah, so um, I keep part of the motion at the AGM on the 20th of May. And as I said before, we're the biggest cooperative in the country. We have 4.4 million members. At our AGM, the motion commits us to a number of things. One of the things it commits us to is a thing called Project Bright Future. Now, we launched Project Bright Future in March, what, about eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago. And what Project Bright Future is, and it's a unique thing so far in the United Kingdom, it's a program where we provide a pathway to paid employment for victims of modern slavery. Um, we launched it in March. We've already had four victims complete that program. 
Wow. Three of those, I am hugely proud to say, are now my colleagues in, in the court. They work for us full time. Mm. And the fourth person who's completed the program couldn't take a role with us because of a family commitment. But actually, she has secured a permanent paid role with another cook company. But she credits that job to the work experience and the confidence she got from that work experience with the co-op and the ongoing support of our store manager in the store she worked in. So we've got another 10 people who are starting with us over the coming months and we aim this year to put at least 30 people through Project Bright Future. And the key point about paid employment is some research done recently at Liverpool University mm-hmm. that tells you that the surest way to break the cycle of slavery is by those victims who have been enslaved for them to find paid employment. So Project Bright, Bright Future provides that. It, it's, it's tremendous to see those people grow in confidence and reclaim their lives. Mm. But it would only be possible because we partnered with a couple of N- NGOs. Mm-hmm. Um, our first partner was City Hearts, uh, and we also now added the Snowdrop Project. And I have to say that it's been a privilege to work with Phil Clayton at City Hearts and Lara Bundock at, at Snowdrop, because those two people and their colleagues are the real heroes in this story. Uh, we'll be expanding our partnerships. We've got two, City Hearts and Snowdrop. We're going to expand to some more NGOs to cover more of the country to provide more opportunities for victims to reclaim their lives. But actually, you know what? What will really make Project Bright Future a success isn't that the co-op will do it, and we will do it, and we'll continue to do it, and we won't stop. But actually, that other businesses step up to the plate and also begin to offer paid employment opportunities to victims of modern slavery. What I said when we launched Project Bright Future in March, and what I've always said, and I'll say it again here, any business that wants to do what we've done and provide opportunities for victims of modern slavery to become survivors, all they've got to do is ask us, and we will give them everything that we've learned, all our processes, all our learnings, all the, all the ways we've made this happen, because this isn't about us keeping something private and unique. That isn't success. Success is that any number of them in the UK support victims so that those victims can become survivors. And I think that's a really important thing for us, that this is about the business sector in the UK, not just the co-op. Yeah, that sounds uh, fabulous. And something that comes out for me is that you're, that you're going beyond, you're going way beyond compliance here, because you know this is a compliant piece of legislation, clearly, and also it's something that is, uh, and it's great that, as far as I know, it's fairly unique in in the world. And um, so what um, um, they've got here is an opportunity to uh, really help other organizations with that. Um, and so we've got uh, something that I'm interested in is how this uh, program here that we're doing today can inspire others. So one of the things is that you've talked about that, obviously we've got the compliance, now the MSA is there. You've talked about some of the ethical uh, reasons for this, but could you tell me about there may be some of any other benefits that you, you have seen in your business um, that have been good for good that could inspire other organisations to, to take you up on your offer of uh, l- learning from what you've done? So I think um, I think the Modern Slavery Act has put in place some legal obligations, and you know to be compliant, you've got to put a statement on, you've got to put it on your website, and directors got to sign it. Mm-hmm. 
and there's plenty of businesses I was with. I was with. I've been with a number of people over the last few weeks who are looking at lots of statements, and there's lots of. And most companies are compliant with that very minimal approach. Mm, mm. I think there's then some businesses, of which I've, I'm proud to say the corporate one, but we're not the only one who go beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. And actually, you know, so some of the ways in which we work with our suppliers goes well beyond what we are legally required to do. We do it because it's important. Mm. And I think then Project Bright Future is about a business understanding who it is, understanding the values and principles that have created it and have sustained it, and then acting on those principles and taking a conscious decision to do what fits in with those principles. So as I said before, co-ops are about people coming together to help each other so we all prosper, no one gets left behind. Well, we don't want to leave victims of modern slavery behind. Our, our former didn't in 1862, we want in 2017. But what we've also found out, aside from the fact that we have changed people's lives, we, through the work we do in Project Black Future, we are genuinely changing people's lives. And that's something enormously important. For the co-op, it's allowed us, in another way in which we can reconnect with who we are mm. and be authentic to who we are, number one. Number two, the response from colleagues around our society, our, our business, and from the elected members, because remember the cooperative is 4.4 million members, and those members own the co-op, mm. and their elected representatives, the National Members Council, are their representatives. The reaction from colleagues and council members has been phenomenal. I got a round of applause when I spoke to the council about all this, because they're even more passionate than me about this. And when I went to speak to the other co cooperatives, some of our independent society colleagues, they were just as passionate. So I think not only do you do the right thing, but you can help the business connect to who it is. Mm. And you can make the business feel proud of what it does. So, you know, the co-op does lots of good things. There's some things you want to do better than we currently do. But you know what? The number of people who have come up to, to me since we announced Project Bright Future in March and said, I'm so proud that it's our co-op. Mm. Our business. And that actually drives real engagement with the, with the purpose. And, you know, anyone who's been in any kind of business will know if you can engage your colleagues, it's your colleagues that will make your business plan. We're very lucky at the co-op. We've got really hard-working colleagues right across our business, 70,000 of them, but they're also really colleagues who believe in what the co-op is. Brilliant. No, that's, that's fantastic. And, I'm, uh, yeah, you've given me uh, more than I could have expected in that answer. That's, that's, a, that's a great inspiration for those organisations who are, uh, wondering if they need to go beyond the compliance level, and and you've given some very compelling reasons for that. So now I'm uh, I'm actually going to hand over to to Jess. Uh, first of all, Jess, I've asked you to uh, uh, give yourself a little introduction so that the listeners can understand who you are, and then if you can take over asking some of the the questions which your your kind of expertise is giving you some understanding on. So, Jess. Thanks. Hello there, so I'm uh, Jess and I'm a senior consultant at Carbon Smart. So we work with businesses to help them understand their environmental and their social risks of their supply chain and to help them build a robust approach to help address these. So in our work we find that a key area for many businesses is really engagement with suppliers um, regarding the issue of modern slavery. Now this is something that Paul, I know that the co-op has quite a bit of success in, so I'm going to ask you a few questions, um, all focusing really around engagement because it's really important to get this right, but it's also really hard. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit more 
about how you engage with your first priority suppliers. For our uh, listeners, first priority suppliers are the um, are a selection of suppliers that are deemed by the organisation as um, having a potential modern slavery risk or the highest potential modern slavery risk. So this could be based on the sector that they operate in or the country or whether it's um, the company's own brand. Certainly. I mean, and we're very fortunate in, in the co-op because we've, in our food business, which is um, a large part of the co-op, we've got a, a comprehensive approach to engaging with suppliers, particularly our tier one suppliers, so that's the people that we have contractual relationships, and obviously our supply chains are very complex and there's tier two, tier three, etc. Mm. We've got a comprehensive approach, and because that comprehensive approach that covers monthly but other ethical trade issues, um, it's that it's that comprehensivity that allows us to tackle those challenges in sort of complex supply chains and find sustainable solutions. Now, what we do in that approach, that's a range of our activities. We absolutely do one-to-one reviews with our key key suppliers, and that builds great relationships. But we also sponsor and facilitate regional supplier forums. We supply we ourselves hold an annual supplier conference, and we support the development of supplier forums overseas in key countries. And I think it's those it's bringing together people, which is a huge cooperative thing to do, that allows those businesses to begin to understand the risk they face but also develop the solutions. I mean, one, one of the key ways that we've engaged with our suppliers is through Stronger, t- stronger Together. And again, I, I mentioned in answering Adam's questions about some of the heroes here, and I think David Camp at Stronger Together is in that category as well. Stronger Together is a collaborative, multi-stakeholder initiative. Mm-hmm. It not only does it raise awareness of modern slavery risks for businesses, but it also allows you to embed robust processes that prevent, identify, and tackle the issues. Over 90% of our own brand food suppliers have attended modern, tra- tra- modern slavery trade training run by Stronger t- t- Together. And now, critically for us, and we explain this in our statement, we are now rolling out that best practice from our food business into our general insurance business, into our funerals business, into our local services business, etc., etc. So food's are real, really strong best practice. And Stronger Together is a hugely important part of that. It's about rolling that out across. But there's a range of things we do uh, through one-to-one to conferences to facilitate the discussions. Great. I think it's important to note out that the uh, Stronger Together Learning Pack, um, they're all available online and, um, and and you can access them for free. Absolutely. I think that tells you a lot about David and what David's trying to achieve. And David's trying, trying to achieve um, something that says people, businesses in the UK can access the right information to stop being susceptible to modern slavery and traffickers. Great, great. And so which elements that you've described uh, now did you find particularly um, useful or where you found that you had the most responses from suppliers? Do you think it was the training from um, from Stronger uh, Together? I, I, think, I think the training has been hugely helpful. If, if I'm honest, I think I'd draw two things out. Um, one is about creating as a retailer a safe space for our suppliers to discuss common challenges um, and then share best practice. We found through many, many years of experience, and we've run an ethical trade program for approximately 10 years now, that creating opportunities for suppliers to learn from each other has been one of the most effective ways to engage suppliers, win hearts and minds, but critically improve capability to change behaviour. So that's the first thing I think, creating those safe bases for, for suppliers to, you know, 
share problems, share solutions. I think the second thing is a bit more processy, which mm -hmm. is absolutely embedded in our business processes on supplier selection, ethical trade expectations. We've integrated an assessment of the strategic approach key suppliers have to tackling one slavery. That's part of how we select and retain our supplier base. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Um, and so, as mentioned, it's never an easy task engaging with your supply chain. Can you tell me a bit more about when you were developing your um, engagement approach? Did you come across any pitfalls? And if so, um, what did you do to overcome these? So, I think I think the key the key element of what we do, and I think our our approach to modern slavery has got four elements of the business. One is about um, visibility of our suppliers, and we use SEDEX to do, to do that in our food business, and we'll be rolling out that visibility across our business. Secondly, what we do is we then order to monitor them uh, to make sure we understand where there's issues. The third thing is then, as I've just, the third thing is, thing is the critical one, actually, which is collaborative solutions. And the fourth one is radical transparency. And we've published our modern slavery statement today. We've also published our cult slavery report, which sets out a range of performance across a range of issues, environmental, human rights, uh, animal welfare, etc. Et and I guess that collaboration, that third element of the four, collaboration is at the heart of what we do. And actually, when you start with that perspective, you start to understand some of the barriers that might stop businesses doing our suppliers doing what they want to do. Not that they don't want to do it, but it becomes very difficult. For so what, what, one example would be information. You know, so trying to develop in a collaborative way solutions that rather than trying to reinvent a wheel, you continue to roll out and use. So once you've developed a solution somewhere, share that solution. Share that, share, share that response so that other suppliers can learn from it and save some of the pain. And certainly I think the right collaborative approach is the way in which you find the answers in a sustainable way to very complex issues such as modern slavery. Because modern slavery is about organised criminality and very vulnerable people. That's a pretty complex mix. And actually, no one individual or one organisation will have the answer. The collaborative the collaboration will develop these solutions. Great. Great. So talking a bit further about collaboration, so You've, you've now started to go beyond engaging with your tier one suppliers and now you've started to engage with your two tier two suppliers, so your supplier suppliers in other words. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you selected those suppliers and, um, and how you're engaging with them? So our principal way is by building the capability of our tier one suppliers and by building the capability of our tier one suppliers so that actually, you know what, the 51 weeks of the year that the orders are there, our suppliers will still do the right things because they have the skills to do so. And obviously, that then takes expectations for our tier one suppliers that they will share with their suppliers, our tier two suppliers. But in addition to that, we've looked at where the risk is, which countries and which products present the risk, the biggest risk was, and we take a number of factors into consideration. Mm. And then when we've, when we've identified where we are, where we have concerns, or where we believe there might be a risk, then again, it's about how we develop particularly the supplier forum in those countries, with independent local facilitators, to allow the tier two suppliers, with the tier, with the tier one, one 
the people that they get the contracts from and the tier one suppliers. We bring them together so that they can begin, it begins to become supplier-led. Because I think if it's supplier-led rather than us leading it, that makes it more compelling and it makes it easier to access. And actually, it makes it more relevant to those suppliers. So in countries like Egypt, Spain and Italy, we've engaged to create those supplier forums. And we work, again, collaboratively with other UK retailers to develop those forums. It's those forums in those countries where we believe there's a risk for our products. That's how we've got to some tier two suppliers where we think there's a particular risk. That's a great example of collaboration again. And it, and it, it is. And I'm proud to say that although I'm proud that my follow-up does it, absolutely, there are also a small number of other UK companies that could tell you the same thing. Um, and I think that's great because that's about the UK being a place that's hostile to traffickers. Great. And so how do you see your um, supply engagement approach um, regarding modern slavery developing over time? Um, I think what we've learned from a, a number of different elements of the broad ethical trade landscape is that you've got to carry on. You don't just do it for a bit and then stop. So I think the first thing that will happen over the coming time is that we'll carry on and we'll carry on developing and improving. And in our food business, as I said before, we're very lucky that our food business have had medical trade program for approaching 10 years now, but they're always looking, always looking for ways to improve it and to help suppliers ever more. So that continuous improvement will continue in our food business. Outside our food business, we are a major general insurer. We are the biggest provider of funeral services in the country. We are a legal services business. We, we have an electrical business where we sell electrical appliances and we also actually are the biggest business sponsor of academy school in this country. What we need to do is take that food best practice and apply it to very different circumstances in those other businesses. And what's really encouraging for me, as we as we sought approval from boards in our business for the modern slavery stand, which they have developed, and what was great when I spoke to the general insurance boards and when we spoke to our funeral colleagues, they're absolutely committed mm-hmm. to this and to making sure that we can say, wherever anybody sees the co-op pioneer logo, that emblematic, iconic clover leaf logo that says co-op, whenever you see that, you can be sure that the co-op has done everything it possibly can to make sure there's not modern slavery in those supply chains. And where something has gone wrong, you can also be assured that we'll be developing collaborative solutions to resolve those those issues. So what's great for me is that all the businesses in all the businesses in the club are absolutely aligned to this. So the next development for us is how can we make that food best practice that we've developed over ten years, how can we apply that and embed it in all of our businesses and our own operations? That sounds fantastic, Paul. And um <clears throat> Just so we're coming to the end of the interview, but something that, that strikes me is that you've obviously here uh, created a really robust approach um, based at, somewhat obviously on 150 years of history, but also the desire since the MSA has been launched to uh, deliver uh, something powerful and impactful, not just for your business and the people that you might touch, but also to inspire and support other businesses to take action as well. Just one thing for me as well is, have you got any other policies or campaigns with uh, knowledge of your title that you're enthusiastic at the moment about at the moment or that I've got coming up? 
Um, I'd, I'd like to say hold longer than you got, but um, because you know the Torway report that we published today as well on the 10th of May, that's got a lot of examples. But I'll give you two or three. Um, a few weeks ago, colleagues in in funeral services um, announced a policy that said any child who dies under the age of 18 and is very personal for me because I lost my daughter six years ago. Mm. Any child who dies from the 18 will get a free funeral from the co-op. Wow. That's great. Absolutely. But here's the bit, here's the co-op difference, here's the co-op way. What we then did with that is we used that to say to others, you know what, the cost of a funeral is not just a funeral director. There's a whole range of other things. And we supported um, MPs in Parliament. We've got the Prime Minister saying the whole, whole, whole inspiring our example was. But the best bit so far has been that the Welsh government, on the back of our announcement, said, you know what, in Wales, there'll be no local authority charges for mm. children's funerals. So that's, that's a fantastic piece of, of campaigning that my colleague in funeral services, supported by the great team that we have in our, in our press team, they've created a campaign there that says, you know what, this isn't right, we'll, do, we'll take the first step, Others can follow. I'm delighted mm. that the Prime Minister recognised that, but also the Welsh Government have said, you know what, absolutely, there'll be no children's, there'll be no cost for children's funerals in from local authorities. So that's one example. The other one example I would give you is um, we established a charity partnership about 18 months ago with British Red Cross to tackle loneliness. And we did, and we've raised a huge amount of money. We aim to raise £3.5 million. We actually raised over £5.5 million, and we're still, and we're still counting the final pennies that are coming in. So we've raised a huge amount of money for British Red Cross. But what we've done with that is we've said there are people in our communities, you know, loneliness is not just about the elderly, although it certainly is. It's also about young mums. It's also about other groups. We've identified seven groups through some, some, some academic research. And then we've worked with the British Red Cross to use that funding to create a set of people in the communities that can link up and stop loneliness. And why did we do that? Because we're a people business, no one gets left behind, number one. But number two, especially in many of our stores, the only interface many people have with other people is when they come in for the milk in the morning. Mm. So for us, again, like modern slavery, like children's funerals, this is core to who we are and to our business. And I think those are two great examples, I'm hugely proud of them, mm. where we've, yes, we've done something that's the right thing to do, but we've not stopped there. We've sought to get others behind us, others to support us, so that we can make a difference. And that co-op difference is, is genuinely unique. And that's why, that's why we call it the co-op way, because the co-op's a different business model, the cooperative business model is different, and the co-op is different. Yeah, well, this is uh, it, it truly inspiring to me. The reason why I, I set up this podcast is to hear stories like that and communicate them to the wider world so that more people uh, can hear that and think about how they could... Uh, apply it in their own businesses and lives because you know I have a strong sense that business uh, can be a force for good as well as providing the services that you provide and, and uh, the three examples that you've given with modern slavery and the other two are, are really great and I'm, I'm so pleased that you've, uh, you've given us some time today thank you for that I'm sure you're busy with your report uh, being launched um, so thank you very much for uh, t joining us on this. Thank you, Jess, as well. 
Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Adam. Um, and so um, I'll close uh, this podcast of Inspiring Sustainability by thanking uh, Paul and Jess for uh, making this uh, podcast possible and also to thank the listeners uh, to, for listening through this. I hope this has uh, filled your heart as much as it has done for me with hope and uh, wonder that we can actually deal with some of these problems as a society and working collaboratively really make a big impact. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm.